Today's sponsor is Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. We'd also like to thank Qualcomm for making today's show possible. First, they connected the phone to the internet. Now they're connecting the internet to everything else. Qualcomm, they're the inventors bringing the future forward faster. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the Simone Biles of reporting, but a lot less bendy. But in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. And while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair, I'm really happy to have Tristan Walker, the founder and CEO of Walker & Company Brands. Launching in 2013, Walker & Company is a consumer health and beauty company that focuses on people of color. To accomplish that mission, it has raised tens of millions of dollars from some big venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. Tristan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kara. I'm in your beautiful, fancy offices here. Brand new. And I was saying, it used to be the offices of Pulse.com, just so you know. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah it, was. it was. I met those guys here until they had to sadly move into the LinkedIn building. Well, they did well fun. for themselves. They did okay. They did just fine. <laughs> but there's lots of companies. You're, all these Palo Alto headquarters or something, what were something else. Well, there's so few of them now. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Like, no Absolutely. one exists anymore. Yeah, that's it's like true. Uh huh. Oh yeah, that's a little different. <laughs> yeah, touche. Those creepy dudes. Oh. So let's talk about you because you're not creepy. Um, let, let's go into talking. You know, people do know a lot about you, but let's talk about where you're at right now. You started in 2013, raised enormous amount of money from a lot of well-known people. Explain who those people were, and then yeah. So we raised 33 million dollars to date mm-hmm. uh, across three rounds mm-hmm. uh, from folks like Andreessen Horowitz, Google Ventures, Upfront Ventures, among others, IVP. And um, celebrities. And some celebrities, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, this really started with one vision that we had, uh, and that's to make health and beauty simple for mm-hmm. people of color. Right. You know, I, I kind of reflected back on my entire life, you know, walking down those aisles, being relegated to the second class shopping experience and being frustrated, particularly mm-hmm. considering how much money I spend on this stuff. And it's not only me, it's just, you know, our demographic group in general, um, how culturally influential a group we are. And, you know, looping in Latino Asian consumers, we're the majority of the world, mm-hmm. right? Let alone in this country, we're the majority of this country in 20, 30 years. So there's a fundamental problem there. And I felt that there's a wide open opportunity to do something really special for an incredibly underserved community. Right. Yeah. And so you, the idea was to get a bunch of brands across a bunch of lots of health and beauty products. Yeah. So Walker and Company, you know, we're designing health and beauty solutions and we're building a family of brands to do just that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bevel is just the first manifestation of kind of this larger vision to build this family so of brands. So explain Bevel for people. Yeah, yeah. Know. So Bevel is the first and only N10 shaving system designed to help reduce uh, and prevent shaving irritation, razor bumps, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a problem that's been around for over 100 years and we're really the first brand to do so. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's complete with a six-part kit. Uh, it comes with a single-blade double-edged safety razor, uh, restoring balm, shave cream, priming oil, shaving brush, uh, and we ship up to 60 blades each shipment for our customers. Mm -hmm. So it's a full-on kit uh, with proprietary formulations to help mitigate this very important issue for folks. Right. And then you've just introduced Just. Yes. So about six months ago now, uh, we just recently introduced a new product, an electric trimmer. We fundamentally believe it's the world's most advanced trimmer. Uh, About a year before uh, taking pre-orders in January, we started this journey uh, and we built uh, this very beautiful trimmer in less than a year. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's replete with tons and tons of innovations. Uh, Snap on, snap off blade. Uh, Usually most trimmers require a screwdriver. You have to unscrew the blade uh, Mm -hmm. to sharpen it. And we have a patent pending thumb wheel to allow you to adjust the sharpness of the blade however mm-hmm. you need. It comes with a proprietary coating to make it um, oleophobic, hydrophobic. It repels dirt, oil. I don't know what that means, yeah, so, I'll believe you. So it Sounds repels good. all these impurities, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you think about it, if you go to your barber and he's trimming up your hair, he's using the same trimmers on everyone else's like hair on your face, right. which is disgusting, mm-hmm. right? And we've completely gotten rid of that issue for our consumers. You know, So there's a whole bunch of just functional technological features. But aimed at people of color. No, so this, no so, this is for anybody. Yes, uh, so even with the bevel shave system, it's mm-hmm. a problem uh, up to 80% of black men and women have, but mm-hmm. 30% of everyone else, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, so we're focusing on building a family of brands that solve really acute health and beauty problems that folks of color over-index on, right. but everyone has. Right. Yeah, so these are things like you know shaving irritation, hyperpigmentation. Now, there have been beauty products aimed at people of color, mm-hmm. right? There's many for, through the years mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Why did you feel the need to enter the picture here? Yeah, no, it's a great, fantastic. That's the first time anyone's asked me that question. I love it. Um, so for a lot of the kind of like black-owned companies that have kind of catered to this sure. community, a lot of them get sold. Right mm-hmm. to the large incumbent conglomerate. The Procter right? Gamble. Exactly. And, uh, and what happens is uh, it gets kind of pulled into this bureaucratic mm-hmm. kind of way of doing business, and folks lose sight of the authenticity that they're bringing to their consumers. Right? Mm-hmm. Not to mention, you know, I got to think about my background too. You know, before I started this company, I worked at Foursquare. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, before that, I was at Twitter. So I got a sense for what technology can do to really disrupt industries in the aggregate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really want to build, at least for our community in the health and beauty product space really the most authentic, technologically advanced. And doing online, obviously. But, but it's, it's, it's something more. It's communicating with our customers in ways that they haven't been communicated to before, mm-hmm. right? Uh, really rich in culture, authenticity, among other things. And I think that's why we've nailed it and why our consumers love mm-hmm. it so much. Is it a big enough market? Because one of the, I, I think, you know, it's been slow. You were going to have a, a whole bunch of brands. There's a lot of money here. You get a lot of attention. Has it moved fast enough for you? Yeah. Well, let's put a couple things into perspective. Okay. Uh, the Bevel product has only been in the world for a little over two years. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we launched Bevel inside of six months on kind of the little money that we raised the first time, $2 million. Right. You know, we've been growing pretty quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. We're in Target currently. We're growing. I want to talk about that because, yeah. the, you know, I know you, I'm sure you have some thoughts about Harry's. And yeah, the no, we can, we can talk about that a lot. Because you're in a couple hundred stores. They're in all of them. Correct. Like that kind of thing. Correct. So correct. Wanna, but we'll get to that yeah, in yeah. a second. Um, so we're going to come out with our second brand early next year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's pretty quick. You know, when you consider a lot of the large incumbents taking over 24 months to launch any new soft good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think about it. We launched this trimmer inside of a year, an mm-hmm. electric trimmer. That's right? your own. Yeah, exactly. And look, it's going as well as I could have ever hoped. Uh, if you think about the bevel shave system itself, over 98% of people keep coming back to us every single month. Right. Uh, you, know, you think about what we're doing in Target, we're growing 5 to 10% a week uh, since we've launched in that channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to launch this new brand. Our team is strong, right? I think we have not only a vision, uh, but an execution plan and roadmap that you know a lot of other folks, at least in our space, can't compete Is it with. a big enough market from I, your I perspective? I think so. Let's think about it this way. Number one, I think the health and beauty products industry is a $400 billion industry, and people of color are the majority of the world. Additionally, in every single health and beauty products category, we over-index and spend. <laughs> like, And what's so frustrating to me, I think a lot of folks kind of look at our business mm-hmm. and say, oh, it's such a niche opportunity. Well, right. How is that possible if we're the majority of the world? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, some stats for you that might be helpful. If you think about skincare cosmetics, we spend 2x more than anyone else in the categories. Mm-hmm. You think about hair care, and I'll just kind of limit this specifically to black women in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, black women in the U.S. are 7% of the country and 35% of all hair care spend. Mm-hmm. Like, just think about that for a mm-hmm. second. And we're still relegated to the second-class citizen experience. So is mm-hmm. the market big? Yes. I think it's the biggest, one of the biggest markets that anyone can tackle. Mm-hmm. And we're the only folks in our space doing it. So what is the difficulty you face then? Yeah. Only because I'm thinking of, uh, you know, we again, we'll get to Dollar Shave Club and, and Harry's and stuff, but they sort of shoved past everybody, yeah. they, which is, you know, and again, your product's got great reviews and yeah. people like it. Yeah. Talk a bit about the challenges you face as you're trying to build a product. Obviously, creating a hardware product is difficult. Yeah, yeah, Well, I, I'd say there are two things. Number one. that's what it is. It's a hardware product. Yeah, it's not no, different right. from a Fitbit or a, You're you exactly know. right. I think, number one, it's just having to explain that the market is big, right? right? right. Over and over and over and over again. Right. That's to investors, that's to consumers, that's to colleagues, that's to friends, that's to mm-hmm. potential um, employees. And we're getting better and better and better and better and better at, at doing that. What's the dumbest question you hear? Um, I can think of so many. I can tell you the dumbest comment I've heard. Okay. Is that easiest? Please. Uh, it was very, my very first pitch mm-hmm. that I ever gave. This is in Silicon Valley? Yeah. Let me guess, nervous. all white guys. No, actually, oh. it was not. It wow. was uh, a woman of color, actually. Ah. Funny enough. Uh, my very first pitch was someone I really, really, really respected, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went to go to the pitch, and I'll never forget, it was like slide 14. And I had a photo of Proactive, the acne system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I talked about Bevel, because we have a lot of kind of similarities yeah, yeah. in that Absolutely. regard. Yeah, right? absolutely. Solving that. an acute problem, et cetera. And I'll never forget, she looked at me, and she said, Tristan... I'm not sure issues related to shaving irritation uh, are as big a societal issue as issues related to acne. At which point I thought, hmm, I I understand why you're probably saying that. Mm -hmm. But she had no context. Mm -hmm. All she had to do was get on the phone with 10 black men. Nine Mm -hmm. of them would have said, this is the worst thing I've ever had to deal with my entire life. She would have just gotten on the phone with 
10 black women uh, mm-hmm. and they would have said the same thing. Uh, they could have done the same thing for white women and men. And mm-hmm. f- three or four of them would have said the exact same thing. Right. Um, so it was just frustrating because right. just having to deal with that issue my entire life and having someone not willing to acquire the context to understand mm-hmm. this, that's part of the problem. Right, right. Yeah. Did others get it very quickly? No, 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 no. I mean, of, of all the folks that I pitch, we've probably been turned down by 99% of the people. Really? Do you know why? Do you even, feel- even with the success that we've had. <laughs> why is that? Because I think a lot of folks are unwilling to acquire the context required to actually understand this stuff right. it's, it's no different from you know any of the folks who get pitched Pinterest for instance mm-hmm. and they'll pass on it because they're not willing to sign up for the service themselves or they mm-hmm. might say something along the lines of well my daughter uses it so I think it's pretty good right mm-hmm. that's just so ignorant uh, and uh, naive I think mm-hmm. and we get a lot of that yeah. yeah, I think you're being kind, actually, but I think they well, don't do I, any kind. Of touche. <laughs> you're being kind. I mean, I remember when they were raising money for a gay site many years ago, yeah. one of the VCs said to the person who was pitching, well, instead of gay people, can it be about hip people? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me one bit. You know, it Not was sort of bit. weird. It was yeah. it was irritating. Well, even, even more so, it's like, you know, a lot of VCs will say, all right, I want to invest in people first, right. pedigree, right. Big opportunity. It's like, you know, check, check, check. Like, I knew all these folks. Mm-hmm. They all said that they wanted to kind of be a part of my journey. Mm-hmm. And once I started to tell them something that they couldn't understand, that all went out of the window. Right. Which is interesting because, you know, the one thing that Ben Harris would always teach me, and mm-hmm. it wasn't until I started to hear the no's that I knew I had something pretty special. Because he'd always mm-hmm. say, Tristan, usually what looks like good ideas are bad ideas, and what looks like bad ideas are good ideas. Oh, it sounds like something Ben Horowitz was saying. Yeah, say. totally. <laughs> uh, and, and the perfect kind of example when of that. When you can catch the pebble from my hand. Like, what? <laughs> are you talking about? Stop speaking to me. But he likes to talk about like Airbnb, right? Yeah. Like five years ago, six years ago, no one would ever thought that strangers would have, mm-hmm. you know, it's crazy. But mm-hmm. now it's a $30 billion company, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, when I was going around, I was in ER and injuries and harms, and mm-hmm. I pitched things like building a bank and fixing freight and trucking and all this stuff. And everyone would say, yeah, you have to do it. That's awesome. Great idea. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. and then Ben would say, oh, it's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I came out with this one, Ben was like, that's an amazing idea. And everyone else on Santo Road was like, it's terrible. And mm-hmm. only then I knew I had something I see. Special. Interesting. So yeah. Ben is your true north? Yeah, he's my Yoda. Okay. Oh, dear. <laughs> kind of looks like one. All right, when you get back, we're going to talk about your beginnings and your journey itself. I like the word journey. I like I don't too. mind it coming from you. I mostly <laughs> hate it from other people, but you said it so nicely. Thank you. We're here with Tristan Walker of Walker & Company, who is making consumer products for people of color and others. Casper made a perfect mattress and sells it directly to consumers to save you money. The Casper mattress is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Shipping to both the U.S. and Canada is completely free, and there's a 100-day risk-free trial and return policy. If you don't love your Casper mattress, they'll pick it up and refund everything. These mattresses are made in America. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com recode and using the promo code recode. Stop paying for the mattress industry's inflated prices. Go to casper.com recode and use the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. While others have been talking about 5G, Qualcomm has been creating it. Just as they pioneered many 3G and 4G technologies, they're now developing the technology that will connect everything and leading the world to 5G. For years, they've been pushing the boundaries of LTE, collaborating with industry leaders, and spearheading the research efforts needed to make 5G a reality. Their innovations are critical to developing a wireless network designed to meet our world's ever-increasing data demands. 5G will provide a layer of connectivity fabric that is fundamental to everyday life. It will impact our jobs, our cities, our homes, and our cells. So I've got a question for all of you. When you imagine a truly connected world, what comes to mind? Tell us your idea on Twitter. Use hashtags WhyWait and Sweeps, and we'll pick one lucky winner to have lunch with Lauren Good from Too Embarrassed to Ask and me, Kara Swisher. Tweet your idea and add hashtags why wait and sweeps to your submission and you might get to break bread with Lauren and me, either in person or virtually via some device that Qualcomm probably invented. For complete rules and details, please visit recode.net slash why wait. You must be 18 to enter. The deadline is September 5th and the monetary value of this lunch is 0.18 Bitcoin. We're here with Tristan Walker, who runs Walker and Company. We're here in Silicon Valley in Palo Alto at his headquarters. Tristan and his staff of how many? How many people do you have? Gosh, it changes like every week. Uh, 31? 
31 people yeah, yeah, here yeah, yeah. in Palo Alto. So we have 27 here, five in New York. Five in New York sales. Our creative team. Oh, okay. Uh, and a couple other employees as well. So Tristan makes uh, products aimed at people of color and others. They have a shaver. Yep. Trimmer, shaving system. Yeah. Uh, seven Bevel. products currently. You've been in uh, uh, Naz's, who's an investor, correct? He's an investor. Yeah. He's put you in a rap song. Yeah, you two weeks ago. And I the video's coming out said, soon, too. I thought you said you were surprised. We weren't Complete. surprised. No, we were. Uh, really? I, I kid you not. Uh, so I Thursday. Don't you. No, well, hey. Okay. Um, Thursday evening, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. DJ Khaled came out with his Apple radio show. Usually mm-hmm. comes out on Friday. Right. But his album was coming out that Friday, so I guess he had a special show. And we were uh, standing right outside in the mm-hmm. kind of main office area. And we were listening to it. Because DJ Khaled always kind of like, yeah. you know, Snapchats his entire life. Oh, my talks son. About I hear Nas it all day long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just Nas being an investor and we want to support him. We want to just hear what the song sounded like. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so we blasted it. It was after 5 p.m. I think it was like 536. And we blasted it and it's playing. It's like, oh, Nas is back. Like, he's coming mm-hmm. out with an album. Awesome. And then the chorus drops. And the first line. Uh, Go ahead and say he's, it. Oh, thank you. I was waiting for this moment my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> uh, he says, my signature fade with the bevel blade. That's a major key. And what's so great about that is, you know, Nas is so well known, not only for like his sure. kind of um, cultural influence in hip hop, but his haircuts. Like, yeah. It's just so iconic. Yeah. And, you know, bevel is the trimmer that he uses for uh-huh. that. He didn't ask us to do that. We didn't know that that was coming. He just did it on his own. Does that help? Does it help? Yeah, I think so a lot. How so? Especially when we, I have a thesis for this thing. I fundamentally feel, if you think about culture, and I have this belief that all global culture is led by American culture, which is Mm -hmm. led by black culture in the U.S. You think Mm -hmm. food, music, dance, et cetera. So moments like this, right, where it's on DJ Khaled's album, you know, he talks about using our trimmer for his haircut. Mm-hmm. He says it's a major key, right? It's DJ Khaled. It's, it's just such a culturally authentic message. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you kind of run any search on Twitter or anywhere else about just Bevel, you'll see not only that lyric getting quoted, right, uh, to the umpteenth, but folks now willing to buy it. And, you know, that's super exciting. And we expect to see a lot more of that in the future. More rap songs about your Well, I hope shape. so. I think we have a pretty good electric trimmer. So I can't wait to your hair it. care products get in a <laughs> oh. Beyonce song. Oh, you, um, you never know. It's, <laughs> this translates into sales or popularity. You feel like that's the case. Hopefully or it just raises both. awareness. Hopefully of what, both. Yeah. Um, Look, I mean, it gives us credence and authenticity, right? right? Uh, so now when folks make the decision, what trimmer should I buy? Uh, they might think twice. How else do you get sales? What is? How do you attract people? Because again, if people think you're aimed at people of color, other people don't necessarily. But, yeah. you know, I could see my son buying this yeah. if you heard it in a song. That's a great, great. All right. So a couple ways. Number one, the overall majority of our customers come in organically. Right. So it's word and of mouth. through the website. Uh, through, yes. Right. Uh, direct. To and some you have in stores now. Correct. And Target right. as well. Um, so, you know, going back to that kind of statement about cultural impact, right? Word of mouth is so incredibly important. You got to think about for the bevel shave system. It's not word of mouth anymore. It's social word. Touche. <laughs> yes. Yes. A lot of our customers are shaving for either the first time ever or the second time ever, because a lot of them are just scared to use razors on their faces. They've mm-hmm. been dealt a false bill of goods in the past by a lot of multi-blade manufacturers mm-hmm. who say, get a close shave, but the closer the shave, the worse it is for folks who suffer from this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that folks use our product and 24 hours later wake up not broken out, like that's a moment uh, to talk about it, right? So our ability to um, kind of acquire sales through just that social connection, I think is amazing. Two, target, right? Three, you know, we promote a lot on like urban hip hop podcasts, et cetera. And that goes back to some of that authenticity that we talk about. We don't spend too much in advertising at the company. Right. Uh, we've been able to scale just primarily uh, on the social. Now, you've done a lot online and again, social and other ways mm-hmm. to reach people. Talking about Target, because you didn't get in all. Why didn't you get in all the stores and why did Harry's? And you yeah. may insult Harry if you feel like it. No, I mean, there's, there's no insult necessary. I think there's a couple of things. Number one, we want to be in the right stores, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that you're nationwide. It matters that you're productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and look, we've been growing. You know, we didn't start in the number of stores that we're in currently. It was the reason why we've continued to grow the number of doors is because Target says, wow, this thing is working, right? Uh, and here's what and we're you were noticing. aiming at urban stores, presumably. So, here, here's, so here's what's hilarious. When we, when we first started, we started in a select group of urban kind of African-American sure. targeted stores. Here's what we found. We found that well north of 50, around 60% of our customers, at least in the target channel, are not black. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, they're white men. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also found that some 40 to 50% of our customers in uh, that channel are millennials. Right? Mm-hmm. And you know most target customers are not. Uh, we've also found 
that you know our average ticket size in the Target channel is 2x our competitors, right? Because they're there touching it and looking at it. Touching it, seeing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more premium pricing, so we're trading up the category, introducing mm-hmm. people to a new way to shave. So that's a story for Target that they want. New customers to their doors, still being productive, and kind of getting the right stores as necessary. So for us, is it FM? Is it affluent? Is it mass market, right? The more important uh, thing that we want to be in is right. <laughs> right. right. And it's working. So uh, Jason Del Rey, who works for us, you know, who yeah, covers I and do. stuff like Hi, that. Yeah, I do. Hi, Jason. Um, and he did ask that target question. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, do you need more nationwide distribution? Is it important to you? Is there somewhere else or just is target that? Like we have my, my vision for the company. I want everybody on the planet to experience a walk on company brand full stop. Mm-hmm. And if that takes our having to be nationwide to do that in various retail channels, then great. So uh, let's talk about more brands. Yeah. You haven't introduced. You talked about it. I yeah, read yeah. your early interview. Yeah. And you were going to do a plan a play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, we're Two still is on- nice. But do you need do you need to buy companies? Is there some rumors that you're going to buy some smaller companies that make other nah, products? Nah, or do I mean, you have to develop them? We can do either. Um, I just care about getting to that vision as quickly as possible. So right? what is your next move? What's the next product? Yeah, so we're not sharing that specifically, but I'll All tell right. you the direction that we're going All right. and where I get really excited. You know, if you think about health and beauty, right, uh, everyone's physiological makeup is unique, right? And I feel like that needs to be respected. When you think about health and beauty in general, you know, my son, uh, he's two years old. He has to use the same baby lotion or mm-hmm. shampoo as other babies, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, my son has... You know, eczema, right? He, his own physiology requires something unique sure. and different. And there's really no, been no semblance of any like personalization in the industry. Not mm-hmm. only that, uh, what's even more frustrating is folks really don't know what these products are doing to them. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of health and beauty products companies will say, hey, we'll personalize. So you go to a website, you fill out a survey, you can change the fragrance, and mm-hmm. then you use it. And you still have no idea what it's doing to your hair, skin, et cetera. Sure. Uh, we want to change that fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think... Uh, what we're going to build and what we're going to show the world uh, next year uh, will be something pretty special. It will fundamentally change the way folks think about health and beauty, hopefully. You know, again, you're breaking in against Procter & Gamble's, yeah. all the, the larger companies. Sure. Is it, you know, all these businesses have raised enormous amounts of money. Yep. Not us. Yeah. Jet.com. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then sold it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we're going to take on Amazon. We're going to do this. We're going to be an independent business. Mm-hmm. Raised an enormous, probably too much amount of money and didn't make a meaningful enough impact. Mm -hmm. Is that a worry of yours? Not making enough impact? Yes. It's Mm -hmm. always a worry. I mean, Mm -hmm. I want to make outsized impact. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I've been consistent ever since I started this company. I want to build a company that's around 150 years from now. Mm -hmm. I fundamentally believe that to be true. Well, I mean, it's it's a long time, but let's think about it. Procter & Gamble is 175 years old. Like uh, Johnson & Johnson is 125 years old. Unilever is 60 years old. What other CPG companies have that much legacy? Mm-hmm. And why can't we dare to do the same? So why? What's the... I mean, these. what did you think of the Jet.com sale? And the Dubin uh, sale? $3.3 $3 billion sale, yeah. I think, is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know enough about like their economics or otherwise or what his ambition was. Right. But, it was bigger. Yeah, but but uh, I get it. But he what sold, do you think so I don't know enough what about you, that business. Just as a per smart observer, the same thing with um, I mean, competing Dollar with Amazon is hard. Club. I mean, that's why we don't try to, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who tries to compete with Amazon is going to have a tough time. And it's not only Amazon, it's Walmart. Mm-hmm. Walmart, they're pretty smart themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And they do pretty well for themselves. Yeah. So look, I mean, I, I think for us, we just want to have that clear point of differentiation. We'll continue to. We don't care to really compete with the Amazons of the world. I think when a lot of folks think about Walker & Company, they think about Bevel. But, mm-hmm. you know, Walker & Company is bigger than Bevel. Right, that's what I, yeah. Um, so, you know, I think with time, folks will start to understand it. Once we launch a new brand, folks will really start to understand it. Uh, and our point of differentiation outside of just the products themselves relative to the Procter & Gamble's, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera, is technology. Mm-hmm. Kind of when I think about that whole idea of personalization, really the only way to do that is through technology. And mm-hmm. when you think about a lot of these large incumbent companies with $90 billion in revenue and channel conflict issues and their retailers are going to get pissed if they start selling online, et cetera, mm-hmm. they're stuck. Yeah. And that's why folks like you know us and Dollar Shave can succeed, mm-hmm. right? Um, because we find those holes and, and race right after. What did you think of that sale? Because the two of them, these are yeah. your direct competitors, and not direct yeah. competitors, but they're in your genre. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so you know, I sent Dubin an email a couple of days after it. I congratulated mm-hmm. him. I, mm-hmm. I, I fundamentally were you surprised uh, by both those sales or not at all? No, not really. Um, because well, you got to think about it. It's very accretive for Unilever's business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't have any shave brands. Um, mm-hmm. And for Dollar Shave, look, I mean, you know, they want to grow their business. So more right. power to them. Right. Uh, you know, I care about you know, our company operating independently. I care about fulfilling the vision that we have for the company. I care about building a family of brands. But congratulations to Dubin. That's an amazing feat. And, and for the industry, you know, it's funny as people woke up. You know, I kind of tweeted something yesterday. You know, all these health and beauty products companies starting to raise money. And I was mm-hmm. like, remember 31 days ago when no one cared about health and beauty, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. in retail? Yeah. Uh, and that's completely changed for yeah. some reason. Right. Because people are cheap. I don't know if you understand uh, that. It's not even uh, not yeah. only that they're cheap. It's just like, no, sheep. Oh, no, sheep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not cheap because the numbers oh, are like. Some people are. But, I mean, I, I always look at something. Sometimes when there's a sale, everyone's like, yay. And I'm like, is that really a success? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was interesting. I always talk about um when I always use is LinkedIn. Yeah. You don't sell if you're doing great. Yeah, you just don't. Touche. Well, you just don't. I mean, that's, that's our mantra. I mean, it's great that there was, there was a problem. There was clearly a problem coming. Yeah. And the joke I always make is that um, if all these companies were Russian female gymnasts, they'd get a 10 on the dismount. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, great. But it's not a, you know, or, you know, hearing Yahoo talk about this is a great success. This yeah. sale. I'm like, no, it's not. It's well, an actual failure. I, I think dressed up as here, one. I think it's a bit unfair for, for mm-hmm. this reason. Um, you know, I was in business school. Right. Uh, Mark Leslie. Where did you go? I went to Stanford for mm-hmm. business school. And Mark Leslie uh, from Veritas was one of my, my professors. Mm-hmm. And he said something that really stuck with me. He said, Tristan, there are only three reasons people start a company. Number one is to get rich. Mm-hmm. Two is to build a great company. And three is to change the world. And it really doesn't matter which one you choose. You just got to mm-hmm. own it. Like, which there's nothing wrong yours? with wanting to get rich. So uh, before I started business school, it was really to get rich. And that okay. was a function of just my background and not mm-hmm. having any money, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until kind of I got to the end of that business school, I realized, well, what I really care about is building a great company that could fundamentally change the world. And the getting rich thing will figure itself out later. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it's OK. I mean, I don't know enough about their reasons for wanting to sell. Perhaps they wanted to get rich. Perhaps like they just wanted to build a great company until that point. Uh, and I think it's unfair to kind of um, give them a negative point for that, potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, our vision is to, you know, if we're going to be around 150 years from now, then we can't be as quick to pull that trigger. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's your goal. You you might sell. For, I mean, nobody. I mean, so there's a couple ways to think about it. I mean, sure. I mean, we got to return kind of our yeah. um, uh, capital to shareholders, among other things. What I tell the team here is uh, you can still be around operating autonomously 150 years from now, whether or not you're a standalone business or within uh, kind well of another said. one. You're so clever. No, I, I mean, I, I do believe <laughs> that. I mean, you look at kind of Google YouTube, right? Yeah. Um, and even what kind of Unilever has yeah. said that they would do with Dollar Shave Club. Like, I, I think that that's a good precedent. Well, uh, YouTube was going to be sh- sued out of business by itself. Well, let's, let's hope that, that uh, it was. Yeah, we don't have to go through that. <laughs> it was nice. It was nice. I don't think you're quite in the same zone as them. Um, last, in this part, do you need to raise more money? I care about building a company that uh, is building a profitable business, generating good free cash flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me are to you? say, uh, are we profitable? Mm-hmm. We are not profitable, but we have a path to it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me to say that we will never raise any money would be incredibly naive yeah, and ignorant. Of we'll raise it if we need it. How's uh, the environment right now? I don't know because I'm not trying to raise it. But it seems like in the past 31 days, things have Now you're hot, hot, hot. Tristan's hot again. Get over there. He's in a Naz song. (laughs) Um, We'll be back with Tristan Walker of Walker & Company, who makes consumer products aimed at people of color and others. Today's sponsor is Ring.com. There's a home burglary every 13 seconds. Most happen in broad daylight with a burglar ringing your doorbell to make sure you're away before breaking in. Ring Video Doorbell has been proven to stop burglaries before they happen by allowing you to see or speak to anyone approaching your door, all using your smartphone. Now Ring is using their advanced motion detection technology to protect your entire property with the Ring of Security Kit. The kit includes a Ring Video Doorbell for the front door, a Ring Stick-Up Cam, which includes a wireless weatherproof HD camera for keeping an eye on other parts of your property. Ring Video Doorbell and Stick-Up Cam both install in minutes. Working together, they provide 24-7 monitoring of your entire home, whether you're in the living room or thousands of miles away. For a limited time, my listeners get $50 off the Ring of Security kit. It's the lowest price anywhere. Go to ring.com slash recode now. Join the hundreds of thousands who protect their home with Ring. Go to ring.com slash recode for $50 off. That's ring.com slash recode. Ever wonder how these ads on podcasts work? 
A startup pays a host like me to read a script about their disruptive product or service. Because we know you're choosing to listen, and that means you'll probably, at the very least, give any product or service you mention serious consideration. But if you are one of those startups who want to advertise on a podcast, where do you start? That's where Oxford Road comes in, a leading advertising agency in consumer tech. Companies like Dollar Shave Club, MeUndies, Blue Apron, and more started with Oxford Road. Oxford Road engineers ads to perform, they buy media based on over $100 million in performance data, and their world-class analytics and attribution methods give you confidence in every line of performance, just like digital. Go to OxfordRoad.com scale, set up a free analysis, and find out what it would cost you to test ads on a podcast, and maybe the next script I'll be reading will be yours. Go to OxfordRoad.com scale right now. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. And this week, I have the real Peter Kafka here in the studio with me. Peter, who'd you talk to this week? We talked to Rafat Ali. Ah, who Rafat. you remember is... Is it Rafat? I don't know. I don't I know. I get it wrong all the time. We'll go with Rafat for okay, now. Okay, all right. Okay. He's and the you founder of Paid Content. Yes. He now runs a company called Skift. Yes. And Rafat is one of the guys that got me to want to start making stuff on the internet. He was an early, early digital media publisher. And then he sold out. And he sold out. I think you broke that story, right? I did break that story. And like a lot of acquisitions, that one didn't work out. Yes, it did not. And then he sort of cast around for his next thing. Yeah. And we talked about what that next thing is. It's Skift. It's a travel site. We also, this is very important, had a Twitter intervention. Oh, you did? I tried to counsel him and try to get him to stop tweeting so angrily. You always try to get us all to stop tweeting angrily. We like it. Well, you, you can handle it. I don't know if Rafa can. Yeah, so that's we, true. We had, there were some tears and some hugs, and uh-huh. he's, he's vowed to do better. It was very emotional. Very nice. I'm looking forward to it. Enjoy. You can subscribe to Recode Media on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're here with Tristan Walker of Walker & Company. We're talking about shave products and all kinds of things. He has a company that sells the bevel razor and trimmer. Yes, that's right. Very attractive device. I think so too. Trimming Thank you, hair and other <laughs> ugly things off of you. Oh God! So let's talk about you. You, your background. Uh, you just mentioned that you came from a not a money background. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up. It was pretty shitty. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, you know, I like to tell folks I had the whole Rose Acres from Concrete story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I um, was born and raised in Jamaica, Queens. Projects. You know, my father was killed when he was three. Uh, welfare, like. I've had it. You know, I moved when I was six years old to Flushing, Queens. Um, to did your mom another, do? To more projects. <laughs> um, my mom worked three jobs. Uh, so she was an administrative assistant for New York City Housing Authority. She worked for Time Warner Cable. She was just, she was one of the hardest workers I've ever met in my entire life and still mm-hmm. didn't kind of make it as uh, she deserved. Um, so I took that experience and said, look, I mean, I still remember what it feels like kind of like handing a food stamp over to like the cashier. Like, that shit sucks. Like no one should ever have to go through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of dedicated myself to ensuring that I do everything that I could to not have to do that. Now, I've been very blessed and fortunate and lucky uh, with opportunity. You know, when I was in high school, I got to go on full scholarship to a boarding school called the Hotchkiss School of in course. Lakeville, Connecticut. And that's when I got to see how the other half lived. Mm-hmm. I got to see what wealth nicely, looked like. Yeah, you got to go to school with Rockefellers and Fords. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, what is this? This is amazing. I uh, worked really hard, did pretty well there, went to a university. What got you there? Just as you know, because yeah, every entrepreneur, you know, yeah. everyone entrepreneur has a, what pushed you to do sure. that? Sure. Um, so fortunately, I had folks in the community who were looking out for me to make sure that I didn't kind of make the same mistakes that some other folks did. Um, so I was a part of a, um, a program, the Boys Club of New York in, in New mm-hmm. York City, an after-school program. It's a great uh, program. I like to say um, it's the best ROI investment my mom has ever made. She paid mm-hmm. 50 cents for me to oh, kind wow. of get in there annually, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I played basketball, did that sort of thing. And then for all students, they allowed them to take the exam, the SSAT, which mm-hmm. gets them into prep school. And because everyone knew me at the club and knew my mom and knew I was academically inclined, they kind of said, no, Tristan, you have to take this test. Uh, mm-hmm. You have no choice. And I'm a notoriously like terrible test taker so I hand in my exam I tell the guy what my grades were and he was like you're gonna have no problem we're gonna get you into the program Mm -hmm. and then I got into the program and I got in a little bit too late Hotchkiss had already kind of admitted all of their students I went up for a tour and a visit and they let me in (laughs) Uh, and that fundamentally changed my life Mm -hmm. 
How was that for the experience there? It was amazing. I, I like to say it was the four most transformative years of my entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, hadn't I gone through that, I, I certainly don't think I'd be here right now. And you went to Stanford afterwards? Well, or? no. So uh, for university, I went to Stony Brook University in New York. Yep. And there I, I graduated three years, valedictorian, uh, you know, and I was still on my get rich kick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, right. And I knew I wanted to work on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a few internships on Wall Street, busted my ass there. I got a full-time job at Lehman Brothers. I was an oil trader on mm-hmm. Wall Street for a little over a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Then I got laid off. And this was January of 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, so talk about good timing. Mm-hmm. I still hadn't gotten into Stanford yet for business school because I applied to, to business school. So I got fired. And I'll never forget, like, I was so dejected. I had to walk from 47th Street, I was at J.P. Morgan at the time, to 20th Street where my wife worked. She's a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I had to give her the news and it was like so terrifying and we had just bought an apartment and like renovated it right. and had no money. And a week later I got into Stanford, uh, JP Morgan gave me a bonus and gave me nine months of severance and the rest is history. Right. So you came out here. <laughs> came out here. And, and had you been interested in the inter- internet stuff? I had no idea. So funny enough, until 2008 when I landed down at Stanford, I thought Silicon Valley was a place where just semiconductors got made. They right. got better over time. So I you had didn't no have idea. digital like, experience? No, none. Zero. Right. Zilch, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I got out here, and I realized I was 24 at the time, and I was like, "Damn, there are other 24-year-olds out here, not only making millions of dollars, but fundamentally changing the world. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they could do it, I could do it." Mm-hmm. Uh, so that first year in business school, uh, I was a bit stubborn. We weren't supposed to do this, but I also worked full time at Twitter. We mm-hmm. there about 20 people at the company, right? Uh, and then, what were you doing there? So I helped them kind of think about how to like monetize business accounts and corporate mm-hmm. accounts and that sort of thing, kind of leading to some of the kind of like promoted stuff that they're right. working on right now you know as an intern i didn't get paid or mm-hmm. get stock or anything like, but that's that's still kind of irking <laughs> a little bit. Uh, why didn't you stay <laughs> uh foursquare happened yeah yeah foursquare happened and i still had my yeah, second you walked year business in school. right correct you walked no, in. so over the summer of 2009 mm-hmm. uh, so they haven't even raised money yet mm-hmm. um you know i reached out to dennis and naveen sent them eight emails um eighth time dennis said hey like you know, You're sure. Yeah, yeah. something. Yeah, you know, it was a bit nicer, but that's what he meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he asked me if I was ever going to be in New York. Um, so that night, I booked my flight, flew out the following morning, just walked through the door. I don't think he thought I was going to show up. Mm-hmm. I sat down right next to him, mm-hmm. and then a month later, I was running business development for the company. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. That's a little scary. And lots of fun. Yeah, it, was, it was the fun times, man. Yeah. It's it changed my career for the better because. Well, a couple of things. Number one, um, you know, I still fundamentally believe when Foursquare was at its kind of apex. Mm-hmm. From a brand perspective, I think few technology yes, brands were. have achieved right. that level of um, superstardom. Right. Uh, so, you know, my ability, especially being out in the West Coast, to go to these conferences and speak, mm-hmm. um, if folks got to see who I was and how much I loved Foursquare mm-hmm. and the brand, et cetera, Dennis just gave me all the kind of opportunity, which I still thank him for every day to this day for that. Mm-hmm. And then we succeeded. Right. And we did well. And, you know, I helped them with a few deals and all that jazz. And that kind of got my name out there Mm -hmm. and really set me up quite nicely. Mm -hmm. And why did you leave? Um, So I felt I was there for about three years. I felt that I'd done everything I could do for the company. Right. I saw us go from zero merchants on the platform to over a million, zero brands on the platform to tens of thousands, two people on the team to 150. And I felt there are other ambitious things that needed building. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to fundamentally help people. Mm-hmm. So that's when I joined Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, I just kept it in a family, mm-hmm. and I just needed time to think about what I wanted to do so ambitiously. What happened to Foursquare from your perspective? I have no idea. I think, um, you know, I left when it was like... Hot, hot, hot. hot right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, anything I say about Foursquare that comes out, like, I, I don't know, so I don't really want to speak on behalf of the company because mm-hmm. I have no, no idea. No, I don't want you to speak. I want you're a smart yeah, person. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I mean, I, here's why we succeeded. I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, we were always authentic. Folks like our, our users bled like Foursquare Blue. Mm-hmm. You know, we stayed, we had this unique lane. And, you know, then we grew and grew and grew mm-hmm. and grew. And I think Foursquare needed to become something a little bit more mass. And it was the right thing to think, right? Like we had to. Um, we were global, right? We couldn't do the same things that we did when we were, uh, you know, a Series A startup. Right. And I think, you know, that's one thing I learned, and this goes to some of your earlier questions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes being too big is unnecessary, mm-hmm. right? Like if you just find your lane, you know, you, this is like the whole Peter Thiel thing, like mm-hmm. you build your monopoly oh, God, in your niche. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. Are you, I, are you an admirer? <laughs> I, I can't believe you are, but go right ahead. 
I never say you put those words in my mouth. Uh, but I think what I'm he not. said. I think what he said about what I'm going to say is yeah. right. So this has no kind of bearing on my feeling about him. Yeah. And, you know, that's another podcast. Um, Every now and then, Donald Trump says something funny. But go ahead. I disagree with that. <laughs> not often. <laughs> but uh, you know, Peter Thiel would say, "Look, I mean, find your kind of like small niche tribe, etc. Sure, Build a monopoly, that. and yep. then scale into the next yep. other things. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of startups try and be everything to everybody too quickly. Right. And um, if you don't time it right, it gets very difficult. I do think it's around product, though. Yeah. I think both those companies had product issues that they never moved on from. I'm not. I think that's the whole like technology eco chamber i mean mm-hmm. we had millions and millions and millions and millions of people who right. love that product yeah and use it every day yeah right um so it's like to whom like tell and, me why you think it's part of the ecosystem because i do think twitter didn't evolve and change enough quickly and um, people had complaints i think this whole cesspool situation is 100 percent true yeah i mean that's well that's i'm why a huge turfar i can't stand it i just can't stand it anymore <laughs> yeah you know what i mean well look i mean that's why i think we're here, not San Francisco, right? right. Like we don't want to have that kind of distraction echo chamber. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm thankful we're starting a health and beauty product company yeah. and not something yeah. else, right? right? Like folks don't want to talk about it. Right. That's fine, right? We'll continue right. to create value. Right. But I think it does um, apply to you too if your product, if you don't sell the product right and make the right product, it does matter. 100%. But yeah. the great thing about it is that you're going to know on day one or two yep. 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 <laughs> if you and don't you have, have the right product. product. Yeah. So talk a little bit about staffing and creating a team. Yeah. What is you? You have a staff that's super diverse. Yep, and small. Yeah, and small. How has what's important to do that to be successful? Yeah, because um, it's hard. It's, it's, I don't think it is. I think it's very okay. Easy, Tell actually. me why it's easy. Um, so Foursquare worked, and we got to like 150 employees, and like no one left because we knew who we were, right? Uh, I think the thing this time around that I've realized that I wanted to do from day one is define that, and define it for folks that. We were recruiting, among other things. So how do we define it? We define it through our values, right, Mm -hmm. of which we have six. And I wrote these values two weeks before we raise any money. It's courage, inspiration, respect, judgment, wellness, and loyalty. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is important because, you know, a lot of our employees, we get a lot of new employees who have to do interviews. And, you know, whenever I hear the word culture fit, Mm -hmm. it irks. Like, it gets me really mad, specifically because no one ever defines it, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And I was like, if we're going to do this the right way, let's define it. Let's find folks that share our values. And let's be consistent across the board. So any questions that we ask during interviews are leading questions to get at one's inspiration and courage and judgment and respect. And when we do semi-annual annual reviews, yes, you're rated against your attainment of your goals, but also your adherence to the, the values that we've set at this company. Now, here's why that's important. For folks who talk about like culture fit, it's like, oh, it makes me laugh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But court for the values thing, what's interesting is you can still theoretically hire like a jerk but if that jerk has the same values that you have, then that's mm-hmm. just like a management issue that mm-hmm. you can help like fix. But you can't really like fix someone's judgment. It's just like a fundamental character right. issue. And like if we can't kind of share the same view on judgment, then we just can't rock. Right. Right. And if you look at our team, yes, we're incredibly diverse. That's not only race, gender, age, all that mm-hmm. stuff. It's personality, among other things. But we all share the same core six values. Now. That also has a function of like the products that we make, right? Mm-hmm. Like, are we actually being courageous in our thinking? Like, we don't want to make shampoo to make shampoo. Like, how do we go above and beyond? How are we inspiring our customers? Are we respecting their needs, right? Mm-hmm. Are we being loyal to those needs? Are we taking care of ourselves so that we can come in fresh tomorrow morning mm-hmm. to help them? You know, yeah. it's interesting, though. You said it's easy, but it's not easy. Every one of these companies has the same gender, racial balance. Yeah, because nobody, it starts Why at the top. Why is that? Because it starts at the top. Like, you have to write it down. Mm-hmm. Write it down and mm-hmm. actually enforce it well, in the culture. they say it. They certainly say it. Yeah, but it's bullshit. Yeah. Right? Because if you're not judging folks during their reviews, like, how are you going to check against that behavior? Right. <laughs> right? It's impossible. Do you think Silicon Valley has a diversity problem? I, yeah. How do you solve that? I know it's a big, honking big question, but yeah. you know what I mean? What's the what's the step? And, you know, I, to me... Yeah. I always say that uh, Silicon Valley is a is a meritocracy rather than a meritocracy, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they believe they're a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. They started on third base, and they believe that yeah, they yeah, totally. didn't. Totally right. Um, so I'm ever the optimist. I'm always glass half full. You are I very think, optimistic. I think, um, I think it is very possible. I think it's inevitable, actually. Mm-hmm. And I say that for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think a lot of folks will start to understand this values thing a lot more, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the world is getting more diverse. The world's getting more liberal. The world's, it just happens. Uh, and then there's just an inevitability in terms of math, right? In right. uh, 20, 30 years, we're the majority of this country, right? Mm-hmm. The world is majority, kind of Oh, minority, they can hang uh, on. All that stuff, right? <laughs> uh, no, that, Look at I, this election. I get it. But, but it might not be. So I think when a lot of folks 
talk about diversity, it should be talked about like and kind of screamed. Mm-hmm. Um, but people want to solve it too quickly. Mm-hmm. And when you think about, so I have a not-for-profit Code 2040, yep. uh, and at Code 2040, you know, we're known for well known for our fellows program, where we get the highest performing Black Latino engineering undergraduates right. out here, uh, and give them all the tools they need to be incredibly successful. We just graduated a class of 90 fellows. We have a 90 plus percent full time off rate. A mm-hmm. lot of these folks are saying that they don't exist. That is complete bullshit because mm-hmm. we found them I inside agree. of like six months, of right? Like it. But the inevitability in this, like. They're the ones who are going to go and start the companies. Yeah. They're the ones who are going to yeah. hire. They're the ones who are actually going to create these lists yeah. of defined values, among yeah. other things. So that's when I say inevitability, I fundamentally believe yeah, that to it's be just true. Change. And if folks are complacent, it's like, great. Like, don't hire those folks. Mm-hmm. We will. <laughs> right? I'm just waiting for them all to die, really. <laughs> well. um, you know, it's a really interesting question because you, you, yeah. it does happen. I yeah. had a huge argument. It's a well-known argument with the head of Twitter yeah. about their board. Yeah. And they had uh, 10 white men of the same name. Yeah, they yeah, had, yeah. again, it was three dicks and uh, one yeah. dick and three Peters, yeah, yeah, and two, yeah. which is, it was all men, yeah. all white men. All, and he kept saying it was just to happen that way. And I'm like, that's impossible. No. That's just, you're, you're lying like well, to yourself or someone else. I think what's, what's more frustrating is, um, I mean, this happens not only for board stuff, mm-hmm. but then also, you know, investment in like not for profits. Sure. And, and once folks start to get blamed and ridiculed, mm-hmm. they'll do one of two things. They'll either start working with BET mm-hmm. or they'll start funding HBCUs. Find me a black person. And it's, it, 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 that is what's, that's a significant part of the problem. Yeah. Significant. Yeah. I and mean, yeah. if you think about even our fellows, like we're finding yeah. kids from like University of Maryland, Baltimore County, yeah. 4 no, GPA. <laughs> like they exist. Just I know. do the work. I was, um, <laughs> yeah. I said that. I said, pick your head up off the table. Yeah. Like, are you crazy? Yeah. And what's interesting to me is the standard word. They're like, well, we have standards. Yeah. And, I was like, why is that only applied to women and people of color standards? Yeah. Why well, does it suddenly get discussed yeah. when I know, for example, on the Twitter board, there's at least seven incompetent people? Yeah, yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. they didn't, wouldn't have passed a standards yeah. test. Well, I mean, let's talk about standards. Right now, for Code 2040, our standards are higher than theirs because yeah. our full time offer rates it's are interesting. higher. Interesting. <laughs> I don't. I, I think you're more positive about the change. I think they're willfully ignorant. I think they actually spend time not acting. No, like, I, I think so too. And excusing I, it. And excusing it. Oh, I. It's uh, unconscious. I, I, it's I fundamentally totally believe exactly what you believe what i'm saying is over the long term it doesn't matter let's finish up on a couple things i want you to we talked to entrepreneurs about a lot about what their biggest mistakes were the things they've done wrong and maybe one thing they've done right and then before that just very briefly this election yeah i'm talking to everyone about it it's just what is it again it is it's the same issues it's the same kind of thing that's happening yeah so this election is actually one that has got me incredibly motivated to get into politics Mm -hmm. one day Mm -hmm. i I fundamentally believe that Mm -hmm. to be true um, you know, I always kind of like give this quote because it's so important to me uh, and it resonates and speaks exactly um, to what we're going through today. Right. So I le- read all these like biographies and all this jazz. Uh, and I'm you know, just reading Thomas Jefferson's. Mm-hmm. In it, um, there is a letter from John Adams to Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. And I hope I don't butcher it. But he says something like this. He says, uh, my dear friend, we've been indefatigable laborers for a cause mm-hmm. uh, which be thrown away in a generation upon the foppery and vanity of persons of whom we do not know the name, right? Mm-hmm. And I think about that, and it's like, you know, you think about what's happening with, like, Donald Trump. Like, mm-hmm. sure, we know him, but we really don't know him, mm-hmm. right? Like, we've worked too hard to create a set of values for this country, mm-hmm. uh, an optimism, like a path forward, among mm-hmm. other things. And here's this person with vanity, all this foppery coming and foppery. fucking it up for people. Mm-hmm. And, like, that, like, just really gets me mad. Because mm-hmm. uh, I fundamentally believe in, like, the promise of the country, the hope mm-hmm. of it. Like, people who are seizing what ought to be, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And whenever anyone gets, like, in front of that, that gets me upset. Yeah. And I think about, like, the Code 2040 fellows, right? Like, I think about my story, mm-hmm. right? Like, I wouldn't be here if someone like like him were involved. And mm-hmm. what's, what's even more concerning, it's not just him. Mm-hmm. It's the folks who believe in him. Right. Uh, so that gives me great cause for concern. That said, I think it's rage against the dying. They're yeah, dying. Yeah, yeah. But you know, hopefully, hopefully. But they're pretty strong oh, when they rage. Yeah, hopefully, that rage doesn't happen before that happens. <laughs> I should say. Well, we always get to the edge in this country, don't we? Yeah, we do often. Uh, but it's in my time, I've never experienced something yeah. that's so contentious. Yeah, and that that is a scary part. Like I have no perspective outside of just reading I remember the Reagan history, right? when Reagan came in yeah. it was a similar thing but yeah. now I'm like bring back Reagan it's, it's just weird <laughs> like, I can't it's believe just, I said the other day I was like weird. and I used to like protest Reagan's yeah. a fucking horror show yeah. now I'm like please totally be alive again um, 
Anyway, last question. Your biggest mistake that you, what advice you'd give to entrepreneurs? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you're a young entrepreneur, but still. Yeah, yeah. Um, so look, I mean, we've had, we have 32 folks at the company now. And what I've learned, I'm a first time CEO. Mm-hmm. And like, I have like two executive coaches who have helped me quite a bit. I have folks mm-hmm. like Ben, the support, et cetera. I learned something about my leadership style over the past six months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when a lot of, you know, we do a lot of feedback here and a lot right. of folks give me kind of that 360 feedback yeah. to help me be a better leader. And what started to come out in my own realization is like, I'm a very step function kind of person, mm-hmm. right? It's like, I want to better my life and other people's lives, like by orders of magnitude immediately mm-hmm. and often, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're managing folks, not everyone's like that. Uh, and it starts to get very difficult if folks are more gradual in their learnings and their thinkings when you're very step function. And so it, it forced me to think, I don't necessarily need to slow down. My approach just needs to be different. Um, so if I get like 1.2 or 3, I forget the number, 1.2 or 3% better every single week, by the end of the year, I'll be two times better than I was previous year, mm-hmm. right? And that level of like gradual kind of like management and growth um, mm-hmm. has helped me quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. So if there's anything, it's like stop always being the step function leader. You can do mm-hmm. it for your business, mm-hmm. but you still got to manage people, right? right? You got to manage the business. Yeah. And, and that's where all the breaks can happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Thank you. And one thing you've done well? One thing that I'm, I'm very excited about and honored by is that we've built something that folks can fundamentally be proud to support. And, and here's what I mean by that. And I speak to a few kind of journalists about mm-hmm. this. You know, when my, and this goes to an earlier point that you'd made, when my mom was growing up, she had all these brands that she could be proud of, right? Mm-hmm. Like Soul Train and stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like just, you know, they just love the culture and just appreciated it. All those magazines, too. Exactly. Ebony, Ebony Jet, There's a great story about the end of those. Yeah, which is sad. But this is like, it's sad, right? Yeah. When I look at my generation, there are a lot of companies with products that I love, Mm -hmm. but I can't say there's any companies that I'm proud to support. It's Mm -hmm. like a weird Mm -hmm. thing, right? You have a hero? Yes, I have a couple. Like the president is one of them. Well, yeah. For sure. For sure. But like that pride and inspiring that pride Mm -hmm. through a brand, if we can be the first company that inspires that pride for this generation and future ones, how much is that worth? Right. Right. So I'm proud that we're like on that path in a Mm -hmm. very big way. Mm -hmm. Well, let's end on that. That's a great thing. Cool. Thanks a lot, Tristan, for coming by. Or I'm coming by your office, actually. (laughs) Thank you for having me in here. Sure. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Atlassian CEO Mike Cannon-Brooks, comedian Chelsea Handler, and Hotel Tonight CEO Sam Shank, just to name a few. All of those interviews and more are at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try one of our other podcasts? Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like the Code Conference, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our sponsors, Casper, Qualcomm, and Ring.com. Also thanks to Digital Media, which distributes this show. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. I'll be back here Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.